I'm Jeff Oldham. I'm the uh, executive pastor here at Melanie Park. Uh, we're going through a series called God With Us from Garden to City. Two weeks ago, Brian walked us through God's presence in the garden. Last week, Todd walked us through God's presence in the tabernacle. And this week, we're going to study God's presence in the person of Jesus. So before we get started, I'm going to tell you a little story. A few years back, I was working at Texas Tech University. I worked with their online school. I was developing partnerships with international students and schools all around the world. I uh, actually loved my job until another department took over our department. Uh, it's pretty common in higher education field that that happens. Our, de- our department was struggling a bit. Uh, if you really want to know the deep details, you can talk to Amy Eaton. She was there during that time. Uh, So we heard this department, the new department leadership, was going to restructure some things. And unfortunately, I was at the lowest level and newest employee at the leadership level I was at. So I was brought in, told that I was redundant, that I would be taking a 35% pay decrease and a demotion. So we had two girls in college. Amy was just starting her new business. Things were a little tight. And I panicked. (laughs) It was shocking. I remember being disoriented, thinking, what just happened? I really walked out of that office thinking, did that just happen? I even called my boss and said, did you know about this? And he said, no. It was just shocking. So I called Amy. She said, hey, we're going to be okay. This was an opportunity to trust the Lord. And I was like, Hmm. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Didn't you just hear me? I got hosed. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my. I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. Funny enough, turns out she was right. Because a couple of years later, the the Lord opened the door for me to come on staff here. Let me just tell you something. I love this body. You're so kind and tender to our family. Our son has been welcomed in. My wife and I feel like we've been here our whole life. I don't know what it is about you guys, but you sure are tender towards us, and so we sure do love you. There's been healing here. I really think that's what God is doing here at Melanie Park is a healing ministry of souls that hurt. But when I was going through that trial, that disorienting feeling just kept this message playing in my head. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. It was uncomfortable, stressful. In many ways, it was hurtful. My pride, my idols of performance and reputation definitely were exposed. And these needed to be dealt with, no doubt. But it was hard, and I felt it in my body. I don't know how you guys handle stress, but I feel it in my body at times, like weight on my chest. I don't know how you guys do it, but that's the way I handle stress. But I do believe that humanity feels this, everyone in humanity feels this way at some point, where bad news or disappointment, unmet expectations, tragedy, it can leave us real. It can be a bad grade, a 
breakup, or maybe the loss of a job. Life can be tough. In this worship center right now, there are some pretty serious marital issues. I've lost my place. (laughs) There's divorce, abuse. You could have received some shocking medical diagnosis. There's disease. And there's sudden loss of loved ones. There's a couple of guys I know right here today that within the last couple of months have lost dear friends or family members suddenly. It's shocking. These moments can leave us feel like we're saying that same phrase over and over. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Here's the truth. I believe humanity's assessment of this is pretty astute. Uh, What we experience right now, and I want you to hear this clearly, is not the way it's supposed to be. See, two weeks ago, Brian reminded us that God's design for us was to live in perfect presence, dwelling in his perfect creation with God, experiencing perfect harmony with all that he created. That's the way it's supposed to be. But as we well know, Adam and Eve botched it. (laughs) One thing led to another. Inevitably, I got a demotion and a pay cut. So (laughs) it's all about me. (laughs) Now, this may sound like hyperbole, but I don't think I'm far off. When sin entered the world through man's rebellion, true fellowship with our creator God was broken. The shalom peace, that's a perfect peace and fellowship with him that we were designed for, the way it was supposed to be, was broken, bad. And it broke everything, our desires, our nature, our systems, our direction, and our purpose. So when I'm sitting across the table from a friend whose marriage is falling apart or a friend whose wife just got tragic medical news, I hear that same statement over and over. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And I really, all I can say is, I get it, and I'm so sorry. The good news is that our sovereign God knew that we would rebel against him that his good and perfect ways, we would mess this up. Yet in his eternal wisdom, he has had a plan to restore and redeem us from the very beginning. Todd reminded us last week that God's plan is to be with us. That's what the tabernacle was for, to dwell with us, to be in harmony and peace with us, all of humanity. So we've moved through the presence in his garden, through the presence in the tabernacle. And then this morning, God does something really crazy. He comes to live with us. Let's pray before we get into it. So God, remove all of me to hear all of you. I don't want to be anything but a mouthpiece for what you are about. Your presence in perfect harmony and peace with us. Even in a world where we don't see it and feel it every time, the truth is, is that's what you designed us to be. So God, you move and speak. I humble myself before you as a mouthpiece for your truth. So God, you do it in the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So just a little history. 
Uh, it had been 400 years. This is the intertestamental time. It had been 400 years in Israel that there had not been a prophet. This is before Jesus arrives. No prophet, no prophecy, no new scripture. And I believe if you were Jewish at that time, you would have felt like God had abandoned them. He hadn't abandoned them because he promised to be with them always. It just felt like that. I love the Action Bible. That's what I'm preaching through today, the Action Bible. Just kidding. That'd be awesome, though. <laughs> that would be awesome. All right, there's a black page right here, right between the Old Testament and New Testament. It's just black, and it says, but God was silent. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty stark, isn't it? So for 400 years, the Jewish people thought, has he abandoned us? They really had been looking for and praying for the Messiah for hundreds of years. And times were tough. I'm sure that they were saying the same things that we say. It's not the way it's supposed to be. They had been in captivity by the Babylonians, the Persians, a short stint with the Egyptians, and now they were under Roman rule. This is at the time when Jesus arrives. The Jewish people, uh, during this time, history records the rides of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These Jewish leaders were moralistic, pious, self-righteous rulers who placed a lot of behavioral and financial demands on their people. These weren't God-honoring demands. And ironically, God warned them against this. Then they were reaping what they sowed. So it actually seems logical. Seriously, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, it actually seems logical. This would be the time that the Lord would send a Messiah. And he did. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, the arrival of Jesus would shift the very fabric of human existence. Jesus didn't come to set the Jewish people free from Rome. He came to offer freedom for all humanity. Jesus didn't come to rule as the king of Israel. He came to be the ruler of all. These short-sighted misconceptions of who the Messiah was were common among all the Jews. But I think if we're honest, though, we have our own misguided notions of who Jesus is. Because he was so much more than we can conceive. That's the truth. Even today, he's more than we can even conceive him to be. And he, he came to earth to actually help us see this. What we're going to do this morning is read through the first part of chapter 1 of John, the book of John, the first 14 verses. And we're going to let John's insights into what took place when Jesus came to live with us. So if you'll get your Bibles out, not your action Bibles, that's a whole different story. Your, your real Bibles, and go to John chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As you can see, he's already starting to use Genesis creation language. Jesus has been there from the very beginning. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has not come into being. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life of the, uh, was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. 
We're going to skip down to verse 9. There's a little section about John the Baptist. So we're going to skip down to verse 9. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him to give to them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And here's that verse again, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word word is logos. It's a Greek word that means a thought, to speak a thought. But it's so much more. And actually, the, the deeper meaning is what's behind the thought. It's as though John was saying, the great I am, the incomprehensible, walked the earth with us. And the word dwelt, so, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is the same word as tabernacle. He came to tabernacle with us. He came to be the very presence of God here on earth. See, Jesus was the living tabernacle, the very presence of God. And this changed everything. The effects of God's plan for restorations, Jesus' arrival here on earth, have been reshaping culture for the last 2,000 years. We're sitting here today because of what happened then. He came here. It's the very definition of Emmanuel, God with us. No other religion can make this claim. No other faith can say this truth. You see, Muhammad wasn't God. Buddha, also known as Prince Siddhartha, wasn't God. But in the Christian faith, the creator of all things came to earth. The question begs, why? Why would he have to come to earth? So we're going to back our way through those first 14 verses of the first chapter of John to draw three conclusions. Here's the thing, though, just as a disclaimer. There's so much, there's so much that we cannot explore about why Jesus had to come to earth. So as I prayed, these are the three things that God bring to uh, my, my, my thoughts. And I believe faithfully I'm going to walk through these the best I can. So at the end of this, you guys don't write me emails like, oh, you missed this one. You missed this one. <laughs> I know. So um, these are the three things that I believe that, that big reasons why Jesus came to earth. The first one is to eliminate. He came to eliminate the punishment and power of sin. This is the one we most know. As a church, we kind of understand this is why Jesus' arrival on earth was so important. So as Todd unpacked with us last week, and if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you on our website, go to, um, I think it's resources, sermons, listen to last week's sermon. Go back two weeks. If you weren't here two weeks, go back and listen to Brian's sermon. Brilliant. Both of them unpacked God's presence for us so well. But Todd reminded us that the only way that Jewish people could be with God to step into his presence was that 
one man, the chief priest, would go through a ritual ceremony of cleansing and purification by animal sacrifice, then step into the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence was supposed to be in the tabernacle. Once a year, and then with more animal sacrifices, the chief priest would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel and then leave the tabernacle. The problem was is that within hours and probably more within minutes, someone in the nation would sin again. And the accumulations of sin would pile up over and over and over during the year for everyone. Sin was never defeated for good. Forgiveness was only temporary and the sin's power was always in full form. But again, God in his mercy from the very beginning of time had a plan to eternally defeat the punishment for sin. And what does that do for us? It brings us back into fellowship with him. So what was his plan? This is what we call the gospel. And I know most of you guys have a church background here, but we have people in here that have probably never heard the true gospel. So what was his plan? Again, we're going to back through these verses and take a look. Verse 12 in the book of John, chapter 1, says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, back into his presence, to those who believe in his name. But what are we believing we're going to have Paul kind of walk through this with us in the uh, first chapter of Colossians. He helps us out. Verse 21 says this, And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, we were separate from God because we were engaged in evil deeds. The first step to coming to back to the presence of God is understanding that we're alienated from God by our own sin. We're a mess. All creation, all of us, a mess. Because we're feeling that's not the way it's supposed to be. The whole world knows it. They just don't know the answer. So God says in verse 22, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death. Death on the cross by Jesus the only pathway back into the presence of God in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. We can't step back into the presence of a holy God as sinful people. So Jesus had to die on the cross so that we can walk back into the presence being holy because he is holy, being righteous because he is righteous. You see, Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be presented holy and righteous in God's presence. Most people with any Christian or church interaction, you guys have heard this. The question is, have you received him? Have you believed in his name? Because the truth is, you're going to be striving for the things of this world until you do. All of us. Do we trust him? If you don't and you haven't made that decision, this morning's a great time to come back into the presence of a living God because that's the way it's supposed to be. 
But if Jesus didn't just come to dwell with us so that he can eliminate the punishment and power of sin. Again, he came for so much more. His life among us would give a close-up and intimate view of God's true character. And so that's our second thing we're going to look at. He didn't just come to eliminate the power of sin. He came to illuminate the character of God. He was the invisible come invisible. No, the invisible becomes visible. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is one of the most powerful passages in all the New Testament. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, listen to this, he's sovereign, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you've been here long enough, you've probably heard me say, Lord, all things. And I love what he finishes with in verse 18, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Please hear me. The centrality of all the universe rests in the person of Jesus Christ. Why do we sing songs like that? Because it's true. He was God walking on earth, and he came to illuminate the most accurate and true character of our creator. Again, the great I am walked among us. Have you ever said this? Hypothetical question. I wish I knew what God was like. Or maybe this, it's impossible to know how God would respond to certain situations. Well, the author of the book of Hebrews says this. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the, power, the word of his power. Because Jesus walked the earth, we do know what God is like. We do know how he would respond in messy situations. He showed us who he is, how he interacts with us, what he loves, what he hates, what his plans are, all through Jesus. See, he was the light of the world that illuminated the very essence and character of God. Let's go back through our passage again. Verse 4, John chapter 1. In him was life. And life was the light of mankind. Let's skip down to verse 9 again. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. There's this term called divinitas sensum, the sense of the divine. All humanity feels it. All humanity does. They just don't know what it is at times. Well, verse 10 tells them he was in the world and the world came into being through him. It was Jesus, and the world did not know him. See, even though Jesus was the perfect, visible embodiment of God, people still didn't completely know who he was. And again, if we're honest, we don't always get him. We miss God's true character even when we read historical accounts of Jesus' life. So what are just a few ways that Jesus illuminated God's character? 
I prayed about this, and these are four. Jesus showed us that God was first holy. He showed us lots of different ways, but I remember the story of Satan tempting him in the desert. He knows the temptation of every person in here, yet he's the only one on earth to ever walk that did not give in to it because he's holy. He didn't give in. I believe at some point, he never said this in that, in that particular story, but I knew he knew that someday, Satan, you're going to bow to me. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, including yours. But God was also shown um, through Jesus how loving he was. Remember the story about when he's with his disciples and he washes their feet. I don't know about a more intimate act. Last Easter, the week before Easter, we walk into our pastoral staff meeting and Todd has a bucket of water and some towels. I'm like, somebody's feet's going to get washed today. That's what's going to happen here. I forgot to clip my toenails. This is going to be nasty for Todd. This is going to be nasty. And we can joke around it all we want. And I, I kind of found it funny until my feet got washed. It was so tender. That's our leader who shows us the ways of Jesus as Jesus illuminates God. I don't think I've felt closer to Todd. So love, love this guy. That's the kind of loving God we have that Jesus showed here on earth. But he also showed us that God is good. I remember the story of when he, uh, a, leopard call, a leopard calls out to him and says, can you heal me? Master, can you heal me? <laughs> Jesus was like, I mean, everybody in the community is like, don't touch that dude. Just stay back as far as you can. That's the way lepers were treated. What did Jesus do? Puts his hand on him. He says, I can heal you. Jesus comes close to the brokenhearted. So he's not just holy. He's not just loving. He's not just good. Jesus shows us that God is merciful. And the, you guys have all heard this story about the the, the, the adulterous woman that gets pulled out into the street by the Pharisees and, and sat down before them. And the, the Pharisees are like, what are you going to do about it? So Jesus' response in mercy says, anyone that has sinned, start casting your stones. Start, start chunking stones. If you're sinless, let's do this. You, you know how it ends. Plop, 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 plop. And they all walk away. And the woman's left there, and Jesus says, who condemns you now? No one, master. Jesus is not only holy. He doesn't show us that God is just loving. He doesn't go remind us that he's good. He shows us how merciful he is. See, Jesus embodied God's character. He was kind. He was honest. He was patient the way it's supposed to be. 
He was fully loving and fully just. So we don't have to take justice into our own hands. But we live in a world that wants justice so badly, and God says it's mine. He asks us to trust him. So one more time, do you? Do I? If he is the centrality of all the universe, do I trust him? Because as we trust him, Jesus reveals another reason why he came to dwell among us, to tabernacle among us, to be the very presence of the creator on earth. This is my favorite one. I mean, I love the idea that he came to eliminate sin. Praise you, Jesus. I love that he came to illuminate who God is. Praise you, Jesus. But he also did something I think is so generous. He came to resuscitate, to breathe shalom back into humanity. See, breathe life back into what died in the garden. Remember, God's eternal purpose is to dwell among the people he has made his own. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's his presence that makes us all all the difference in this life. It's what gives us a life that is fully satisfying and purposeful. Brian used this verse two weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating. It's Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the way of life, the way it's supposed to be. In your presence is the fullness of joy. There is no fullness of joy outside of his presence. In your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. See, the people that encounter Jesus, the living God, and learn to love him, trust him, and worship him, this was God's original design, was to breathe back again what was lost in the garden. Look at the... Look at the um, Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. What does it say? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. See, as Jesus walked among his people, people were beginning to live within God's original design again. He's the Prince of Peace. He returned joy, meaning, direction. He reminded us how to be truly forgiving and patient, to be at one with him and others, how to love their enemies, how to see and serve the most vulnerable. His presence begins to resuscitate, to breathe back into life that which was lost. Here's what's cool. He's doing it today. For those who believe, those who put their trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, his spirit reminds us that our sins have been eliminated. We live free. We sang it this morning. He reminds us that God's character is illuminated even in us. And he's made in the garden things new by breathing back into the world that which was lost in the garden. This one's a hard kind of path to go through now because I see this evidence of this truth all the time where God's presence is met with a soft and humble and obedient heart. The Irish call this thin places where heaven meets earth. I had a pleasant visit this week with one of our youth kiddos and I could have picked from a hundred stories of what's going on here in this body about how heaven 
meets earth. I had this interaction this week. I prayed about it. I thought, this is a good example of earth as it is in heaven. If you haven't met Sarah Spallholtz, you should. (laughs) She's a bundle of joy. She has Christ-like hope. She was doing a Bible study with a friend at Starbucks this week. And while she was talking with this friend, she looked over and saw a homeless man. He was digging through the trash at Starbucks. So she's talking with her friend. Something perked her interest. (laughs) Hello, Holy Spirit. Perks her interest, says, feed him. Whoa, 17-year-old girl? (laughs) I can't even look at her right now. (laughs) Heart starts to beat. But again, humble and obedient, gets up, goes to the counter, orders some food. By this time, the homeless man is sitting down at a table. She goes over and brings the person food. He looks up her and says, well, thank you. She goes back and sits down, heart still beating. Just a minute later, she sees out of the corner of her eye, the homeless man get up and walk towards her and her friend takes a chair and sits down, starts to raise his hoodie. And she thought, well, this was a good run. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Pulls out a Bible, sits it on the table, starts reading from a psalm, and says, what you just did for me, we just read right here. This is the hard part. She puts her hand on his hand. Says, can I pray for you? Then she remembers, God, I'm not a very good prayer. (laughs) So you speak. Where heaven meets earth. So she prays for him. The man has a little bit of a conversation with them, and then goes back and sits at his table. About a minute later, someone's leaving the Starbucks and says, that was the kindest thing I've ever seen. Where heaven meets earth, where the presence of the living God comes to walk with us, to dwell with us, it makes sense. So you see, when you get a bad grade or there's a breakup or a loss of a job, when your marriage isn't turning out the way it's supposed to be, when you're presented with shocking medical diagnosis, when we lose a loved one, because I know there's families in here right now that are hurting. Let me just tell you, as gently as he can speak, he sees you. And then he calls and he says, turn back to my son, Jesus. He's the way back into the garden. He's the way to rest in his presence. He is the living tabernacle. 
And it's the only place we can find sanctuary from the storms of life. So the invitation is this. There's not tons of application here. Let Jesus dwell in you today. Let him start healing and comforting and receive his beautiful and free gift of grace this morning. Let's pray. So God, you are so tender with us. You're so generous that you allow us to walk back into your presence the way it was supposed to be. And you've had a plan since the beginning of time of how to do that. Knowing that your creation would rebel against you, you still lovingly pursue us. You're beyond merciful. You're beyond forgiving that we can even comprehend. And so God, the only reaction that we can have is to worship you, to worship you, to lay down before you and dwell in your presence. So God, help us do that today. It can't be in our own power. You have to do it, Lord. So we love you and we praise you in the strong and beautiful and tender name of your son, Jesus. Amen.